Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. There's a story of a famous golfer who was invited to play golf with the king of a foreign country. And the king and the golfer enjoyed their round of golf. And after the round, the king says, you know, I always give a gift to those who play golf with me. So what would you like as your gift? The king asked him. And the golfer answered and saying, listen, you don't need to give me a gift. The gift was enough to play golf with you. And the king was adamant. He said, no, I want to give you a gift. So the golfer says, okay, I collect golf clubs. So why don't you just give me a golf club? So on his way home, he was on the plane and he was imagining, man, what kind of golf club is this king going to get me? I mean, is it going to be like solid gold with jewels and my name engraved on it? He was dreaming about this special golf club and he gets home and waited for the golf club. A few weeks later, he receives a certified letter from the king. The golfer said, "That that's strange. I wonder what happened to my golf club. So he opens up the letter from the king, and it wasn't a golf club. Instead, it was a deed to a 500-acre golf course in America. Here's what I want you to hear this. There's a lot of Christians settling for golf clubs when we have the whole course. That's what awaits us. Our king has an incredible kingdom that's indescribable. It's so beautiful, we can't even imagine it. It's way better than what we can even imagine. And that's why I'm doing this series, because I want us to imagine. I want us to think. Because the Bible says we're not of the world. And today, part two is citizens of heaven. And notice the hashtags. Does anyone use hashtags? I avoided using hashtags. But I avoided using social media at the beginning, saying this is just a passing fad. <laughs> Little do I know, right? But hashtags, basically, what do they do? They're like a special kind of filing system. So all the words go together, the letters, so there's no breaks, and then you can find files. So the reason that I use the hashtag on the title is to remind us that we're not of the world, but the hashtag reminds us that we're in the world. But the hashtag not going to last. The only thing that's going to last is God and his word and his kingdom. The message series is based on what Jesus prayed and was saying in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before he was crucified, he said, speaking of us, he says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So last week, I started the series by saying, I'm not of the world because I am sanctified by truth. Today, I'm not of the world because I am a citizen of heaven. And it's based on Philippians chapter 3, where Paul says this in verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word citizenship in the Greek is only used one time in the New Testament, but it was used all the time in common language. It was about just saying that I'm a citizen of this country or that place. So what is Paul saying here? Because it's easy to pull out a verse and try and figure it out, or we can look contextually, meaning 
looking at the whole passage, because if you read a letter, you wouldn't just read one sentence. You'd read the whole letter to get the whole idea. So what's Paul saying? Well, this whole section of Philippians chapter 3 is speaking of what is known as the theology of suffering. And anybody who leaves out suffering out of their theology is leaving out a huge part of theology because Jesus suffered. That's the whole point of the cross, that Jesus suffered for us and died and took our place on the cross. So we suffer as Christians, especially in the world. And so we ask ourselves, why am I suffering? Why is this going on? And Paul answers it by saying two things. He says, first of all, we suffer because we fellowship, we're partaking in the sufferings of Christ, who suffered and died because we are in Christ and he is in us. We too will suffer, and that's just part of being a Christian. But the other part of suffering that Paul's saying is, we suffer because we're not of this world. We are citizens of a better world. And he's saying to the suffering church in Philippi, he's saying, you know, your emperor Nero, because that's who was a really bad guy, your emperor refers to himself as Lord and Savior. But I want to tell you that our Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ, and he's coming back soon, and he has his own kingdom. So you see the play there that Paul's doing is saying, the emperor would say, I'm your Lord and Savior, and they would call the emperor Lord and Savior. Paul says, we eagerly await our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that helps us stay focused no matter how much we're suffering. Paul explains what it means more to be a citizen of heaven, and with citizenship comes benefits. So he first says the citizens of heaven are of the true circumcision. Just think of this when we're talking about the benefits of God's kingdom. Paul speaks of circumcision in this passage. He's correlating between physical circumcision and spiritual circumcision. Now, physical circumcision is what the sign that God used to separate his people Israel, to be cut away from the world. Spiritual circumcision is the sign that separates us, the church, to be cut away from the world onto himself by his spirit. So it's a spiritual circumcision. So Paul says in verse 3 of chapter 3, we are the true circumcision. The NASB adds the word true. It could just read, we are the circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So let's look at the context behind Paul's statements. First of all, let's look at the letter. Philippians, in chapter 3, he begins with a harsh rebuke, and he calls these false teachers dogs, those that preach false circumcision. And it's in reference to these Judaizers, these false teachers that had infiltrated the church and were preaching a gospel of works, that you have to do these things in order to have favor and grace and faith in God to be saved. And Paul was furious with this teaching because it wasn't correct. 
They were forcing Gentile believers to be physically circumcised in order to be saved. And Paul, remember, he was circumcised himself. He speaks harshly against this false gospel. And he contrasts between what is the circumcision, the true circumcision, which is based on grace through faith in Christ. And that's why he says, those who are true circumcised worship in the spirit. We do not put our confidence in the flesh. So that's kind of the context of the chapter and the letter. But then there's a bigger picture of the context of the theology of circumcision, which is throughout the Bible, beginning with Abraham. Who knows how old Abraham was when God told him to be circumcised physically as a sign of separation on himself? 99. So you think things are bad? Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. That's not good. But he did it. He was commanded by God to be circumcised as a testament of his faith, and that's important. Circumcision came after he believed. In chapter 15, it says that Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. In chapter 17, the circumcision was a sign of his belief. Don't get it backwards. And God told Abraham, he went on, he said, I want all the parents to have their son circumcised at the age of eight, which, by the way, since God is the great physician and he's really good at science, he knew that at eight days old is the highest content of the vitamin K in the blood, with vitamin K stops the clotting. So God knows what he's doing, even with regards to this. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, and let's go through this together. Let's read starting in verse 1. So he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And by the way, where's Paul? In prison. People can't take away our joy. You can be in any situation and still have joy in the Lord. And he says, I write these same things to you. It's not a bother to me because I want you to be safe. So he's saying, I've told you this before. Listen up. I want you to be safe. Beware of the dogs. Now, that word was used towards Gentiles. It was not a good term. But what does Paul do? He's turning it around towards these Jewish false teachers. He says, beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. And that word can mean mutilation. Beware of the mutilators. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That play on words, flesh and spirit. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I should do that, he says. And then he kind of gives his resume. I was circumcised on the eighth day, just like I was supposed to do, from the nation of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. And as to zeal, I persecuted the church. And check this out. As to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. Some people go, how can that be? Well, Paul's speaking of the outward activity of the law. He kept the law outwardly, but read Romans 7. He was not keeping the law inwardly. He was coveting. He was sinning against God. We see here Paul setting up this harsh rebuke 
of these mutilators, is what he calls them. And in Galatians, I think he goes on and says, why don't they just go and emasculate themselves? Go all the way. He's so ticked about what's happening with this church that he planted. He's saying the true circumcision is done by the Spirit. That's the new covenant. Don't live in the old covenant. This is the new covenant. We can know this because Colossians, he writes, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. And in Romans 2, circumcision is that which is of the heart by the what? By the Spirit who cuts us away from the world. We're not of the world. We're of the Spirit in Christ. We are cut away spiritually to Jesus by grace, not works, through faith. And that is the inward sign of our salvation. Now, it's interesting, the correlation between physical and spiritual circumcision is evident. If you think about it, physical circumcision is done to the flesh and it's hidden. Spiritual circumcision is done by the Spirit and it's also hidden. And the only way to become a citizen of heaven is to be of the true circumcision, which is to be cut away by the Spirit who indwells you by faith in Christ. And that's your passport. That's your passport to heaven. The next thing he talks about is the citizens of heaven are righteous in Christ. Righteous in Christ. If we were to think of spiritual circumcision as your passport, righteousness would be your ticket. Okay, so spiritual circumcision is kind of like your passport to get in, but you can't get there without your ticket, which is righteousness, and it's not your righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness in you. Now, this is one of the biggest lines in the sand that separates those who are of the world and those who are not. Those who are of the world work for their righteousness. This often manifests itself in what's known as self-righteousness trying to prove your righteousness. And we live in a culture like that. And I was like that before I got saved. I would go and try to prove that I was righteous. I would try to do good things. We should do good things. And I would hand out food at the grocery store for the homeless people on a Saturday for like eight hours. And I really felt good about myself. And I would begin to look down on people that weren't doing that. And I would work in soup kitchens and I'd start to feel like I was better than all those people that weren't doing that. And I was feeling really self-righteous and I was looking down on people that weren't as righteous as me. Now, good works should come from a believer, but not for salvation, from salvation. See, we're already saved. We don't have to prove our righteousness because that would never prove anything. It's called filthy rags. It's dirty. None of us are worthy for Christ to live inside of us. Think about that. I always think about he was born in a manger and like with a bunch of animals in this smelly place. And that's how he chose to be born in my life. Some people go, I got to get my life together before God. No, you're never going to get your life together. It stinks to be honest with you, with all due respect. God wants to live there by his spirit to set you apart for him. The problem with our society today is there's this constant self-righteousness, like I'm better than you. You're not as good as me. 
You see it all over social media, and you know what they call that? Virtue signaling. Hey, look at how good I am and how bad that person is. And you look down on others. And from that comes this other part of this world that we live in called cancel culture. That you're canceled now because of your past. And I'm better than you. And let me just tell you this. If you were to look inside of the heart like God can, and you were to look inside of the heart of the cancelers, they should be the first one to be canceled. Because Jesus said, let he who has not sinned cast the first stone. It's sickening, this self-righteous stuff. Because Jesus has the most problem with self-righteous people, ladies and gentlemen. He had it back then, and he still has it today. Because if a person thinks he's righteous in himself, why does he need a Savior? People who are not of the world, we, us, the church, we realize that we're not righteous in ourselves. There's no way we can. The Bible says no one is good, not one. But we are righteous because Christ lives in us. Is Christ righteous? Yes, he lives in you. So therefore, by him living in you, you are righteous. You don't have to prove anything. Do good things for people because Christ lives in you. Not because you're trying to get Christ's favor or people's favor. That's even worse. Going on, and Paul's like really getting into this whole self-righteous behavior. And then we go on into verse 7, and he gets even deeper. He says, look, all that stuff about me and my resume, whatever was gained to me, those things I count as a loss for the benefit and the sake of Christ. And more than that, I count things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That was his number one goal. I want to know Christ, for whom I have suffered the loss of things. Paul lost a lot of things because he followed and knew Christ. Then he goes on, I count all that stuff rubbish or trash. The word is scubalon, and it can mean dung. It's stuff that's thrown out to the dogs. So he's kind of doing a wordplay there too. He's like, beware of the dogs. And all that stuff that I did should be thrown out to the dogs. Because it's self-righteous. So that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness through faith in Christ, which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering. See, that's that theology of suffering. Being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection of life. Because life only comes from death. We die to ourselves. Christ lives in us, and we come alive. The question, is your righteousness your own? Are you self-righteous? Or is it Christ's righteousness that you boast about? Because that's what's important. And if you have Christ's righteousness living in you, that's your ticket to heaven. And then Paul ends with by saying, citizens of heaven, we need to press on. Because living in this world is hard work. Because we're not of this world. And we're trying to figure it out. But we're never going to figure it out because... 
This is a fallen world. We're made for a better world. And it's difficult, to say the least, especially for us that are not of the world. Now, during the past few months, I don't know about you, but it's become evident to me that the world hates the church. It should be evident to you. By the way, Jesus said, the world will hate you. If you're trying to get love from the world, you're fighting a losing battle. The world hates the church. The world would rather not the church be here. The world sees the church as non-essential, something that can be shut down on a whim. And like Nero, who was the emperor during this time with Paul, he blamed the church for these raging fires that came after Paul died. These fires broke out in Rome. And Nero, guess who he blamed for the fires? The Christians. Because they're an easy target. Let's just blame the Christians. They blame the Christians for everything. They blame the Christians for hate speech. And, you know, the list goes on and on. And the world would be happy if the church would just go away. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, one day we will. And you think things are bad now. You don't want to be here. When the Holy Spirit is gone, the church goes, he goes with us. This is a quote from someone on social media. In America, white supremacy is a system that promotes whiteness and white maleness specifically and white Christian maleness specifically over everyone else. So listen, we're going to get blamed for everything. Racism, whatever it is, because we're easy targets. You know what? First of all, we shouldn't just crawl into a hole and let them do whatever they want. We have to have perspective. We should stand up for what's important, which is the truth. We should not succumb to them trying to stifle the truth because the truth is what sets people free. So we have to speak the truth. I'm just so grateful that this happened during a time where there's internet. Imagine the church being shut down without internet. Well, guess what? That happens in China, places like this. And I know someone who is Chinese that moved here, and she became a believer in a city that was so out in Timbuktu, and she worked on a farm, and it just so happened that a woman from America came as a missionary to this podunk town in China and led this lady this young girl to Jesus. She was chastised and thrown out of her family. She's now a seminary student getting her master's degree in theology. See, God can speak, but think about how much worse it, because we sit there and go, oh, it's so bad. I mean, Paul was in prison. He didn't have nothing. At least we can do this because the truth has to get out. Get the truth out. Don't just watch this today. Send it out. Send it to people. Speak about it. Because Satan wants to shut us up. And that ain't going to happen. Be strong. Be a leader. Preach the truth like Paul did. Like I said, the world would be happy that we weren't here. And one day, we will not be here. And here's the other thing. The attacks against statues. It's not against a statue. It's against the authority behind the statue, which ultimately ends up at the feet of God. People are shaking their fist at God. 
That's what's happening. Read Revelation. There's a whole section in there where God keeps trying to get their attention because he loves them. He wants them to repent and come to faith. And they keep shaking their fist at God, mocking him. The authority of God. How dare they? But they don't know. Father, forgive them for they do not know. But it's not about a statue. I remember that movie Forrest Gump with Lieutenant Dan. I love Lieutenant Dan. But there's that little clip in there where he's shaking his fist at God on that storm and he's like, it's time for a showdown. That's what's going on. And we don't see it for what it is. We're blinded. It's shaking your fist at authority. And they're not going to stop until they're going to be shaking their fist at statues of Jesus. They're statues of Jesus, but it's what's behind that. The authority of God. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The problem is you have leaders in this country that are condoning it and promoting it. Those are the ones that are going to be held more accountable. Jesus said, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it's better you put an anvil around your neck and jump into the ocean and drown. So we need to press on. This is not the time to shrink in fear. That's why Paul writes in Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And that word press on means move rapidly and decisively toward an object or destination. Listen, Paul realizes, I have not arrived. This prison hole is not my final destination. I'm going to press on, and I'm going to tell others to press on. Because Paul is not going to settle for a golf club when he has the entire course. People who are not of the world, we will suffer. But it's only momentarily. Our salvation is near. So let's look at the last part of this passage, starting in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained the goal, or have already become perfect or mature, But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of. So in other words, I keep doing what God has called me to do. Brothers, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, I forget about my past and I look forward and move forward, pressing on with urgency because there's a goal and the prize is Jesus And it's my upward call, my heavenly call in Christ Jesus. And then jump over to verse 17. Brothers, join in following my example. Listen, press on. I'm in prison and I'm pressing on. And observe those who walk according. He's saying, walk with those who are like you. And then he goes on. For many walk of whom I've often told and now tell you even that they're enemies of the cross. Don't hang out with those. But you preach to those people. Because they need Jesus, but they're enemies of the cross of Christ. And they will end up in destruction, in hell. Their God is their appetite. In other words, they just live for the flesh. And their glory is in their own shame. And they set their minds on earthly things. Those are the people of the world. But then Paul says, but our citizenship is not this world. It's in heaven. And Nero might be saying that he is the Lord and Savior, but we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
And verse 21, it culminates, he will transform our body into conformity with his body because we are his body by the exertion of the power that he is even to subject all things to himself means he's Lord of all. And one day he's going to prove that he's Lord of all when he comes back and we have a passport and we have a ticket to heaven by his spirit who has cut us away from this world and is drawing us to him and he will come back and take us to be with him. We are on spirit airlines. Okay? Now, I am not of the world. I am of the word. When I end the sermon all the time trying to do this wordy advice, not worldly advice, wordy, keep your eye on the prize. Listen, Paul's citizenship is in heaven. And he was not far away from there. He will soon die for the sake of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Paul fell asleep in this world. He woke up in the next. And the goal is the finish line. And the prize is Jesus. And the race is a marathon. And you don't know if you're on the five-mile mark or the 25-mile mark. But unlike the world, God doesn't shift the goalposts. And he said that, What he's called you in the beginning is still true today. No matter what mile marker you are, your calling is still relevant. The moment you began this race was the moment you left this world. And like those before, you you do not see the new world with our physical eyes, but we see it nonetheless. And this is what keeps you in the race. Do you know what else keeps you in the race? Running with other not-of-the-world people. I run. I run slower now these days, but I have a running jersey. Hashtag not of the world. And then on the back, it says hashtag run for the prize. Listen, we need to run with people who are wearing this jersey. We can't disconnect from the other runners who are running out of this world too. We need to run with them. And look, let's not nothing stop us. Nothing constrains us from doing what God wants us to do. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. He would not put things in front of us that would hinder us from doing his will because then he wouldn't be doing what he wanted to do. He's sovereign. He's allowed this, but we need to stay connected. We need to stay connected with people who are not of the world and not run alone. We need to remember that we have a Lord and Savior And we don't know if we're on the five-mile mark or the 25-mile mark, but we got to keep pressing on. we got to persevere by God's grace and not in our own righteousness because those are filthy rags in Christ's righteousness because the prize is Jesus and he awaits you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the wonderful people that are part of this worship service, and the ones that are worshiping with us at home. And Father, I pray that for me, Lord, I know sometimes I get down, but I pray that I remember this jersey, that I'm running a race in grace because you live inside of me and you're never going to fail me. And I'm going to run for the prize. I don't know if I'm on the 25-mile mark. I don't know where I am. You do. And the calling that you gave me at the beginning when I left this world is still the calling that you have while I'm in this world. 
We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Make me-